Hello, my friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Today, we are doing a audio of the webinar that I did with Kate Reiner of Sunbelt Business Advisors on your exit action plan, because I so believe in helping y'all begin as you mean to continue and helping you guys create the businesses you want and the exit plans that you want. That I went out and found a business broker for y'all to talk to. If you remember Aaron Austin's uh, uh, interview last fall, we talked about this and ta-da, now I have a business broker for you. Enjoy the webinar, we had a really, really, really good chat. Welcome to Food Safety University. I'm Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele, and this is the one podcast where you can get everything you need to know about food safety and how to run a food manufacturing plant for all of those small and local food manufacturers. If you are into local and sustainable food and agriculture, this is the podcast for you. Every week we cover new and original ideas around how to get the most out of your HACCP planning and how to get your plant up and running and continue running in a way that fulfills your dreams. So grab a pen and paper because every week you're going to need it. See you on the inside. Welcome everybody. Thanks so much for being here. And I wanted to, um, uh, just, you know, express my gratitude. Uh, exit action planning when you are in the thick of things is something that can be really hard to think about. But I've got Kate Reiner here and we decided to do this webinar because we both so deeply believe that if you want to get where you want to go, you need to start planning now. <laughs> so Kate, welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself? Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm Kate Vreiner, and I am the Vice President of Sunbelt Business Advisors, but I'm here today as a Certified Exit Planning Advisor with Exit Advisors. Um, I've been with the firm for about six years, and similar to what you talked about, like just a passion for helping people get ready for their exit because we just run into so many business owners who decide that they're ready to sell, but they just, their business isn't quite there yet to be able to do it. Exactly. And um, I just, I'm going to stop us here for just a second. Are we recording? We are recording. We are recording. Okay. Yes. Great. I, I, I don't have as many like, um, <laughs> controls on my end as you do. And I just had, you know, those moments where you're like, oh my God, <laughs> right? That would be yes. There's a little cloud. I'm hoping that nobody tries. All right. That's awesome. Yes. Hoping nobody tries to get on our internet at home right? <laughs> um, and watch a video. So all right, so here's what we're really covering today. So I'm Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele from Food Safety University in Deergo Food Safety. And I, as you know, work with, you know, food and dev manufacturers. And I have recently been sending a lot of my people to Kate because they are either planning for an exit or they're planning to buy another business. And then what we're doing is, is we're like running into people who have not thought, have not spared one brain cell at all <laughs> to their exit strategy. And I promise you, nobody wants to be slinging hash 
at 70 years old. You want to be on the beach in warm locations, enjoying the fruits of your labor. But if you want to actually get there, you actually have to plan like right now. So the first thing that we're going to be covering is we're going to be covering, covering like what's your vision, right? And sure, we can start at the beach, but you know, three years is also good. Um, Then we've got some questions about where are you now? I'm all about telling the truth about where you are right now. Um, Then we're going to cover like what it is that you're actually selling. It might not be what you think it is. (laughs) Okay. And then we're going to help you develop a roadmap to actually get where you want to be and talk to you about who needs to be on your team at various points in the journey. So Kate, as we, as we dive in, talk to us a little bit about how you got where you are, like, how, like why brokering businesses and helping people with this? So, um, so I'm part of a family, a small family owned business. Sunbelt is actually a franchise with over 200 offices worldwide. Um, and my dad bought into it 16 years ago and about six years ago, we were talking about, um, I had just had my second kid and, um, had been in transportation and logistics for a long time and was, um, to make a change. And we had talked about this on and off over the years and decided it was the right time for me to join him. So I jumped in with two feet as a lot of small business owners do. Um, I am not, um, I know there are some people that are like, oh, family business family business, like family payroll. And it's like, no, I'm a 1099. So I don't get paid unless I do my job. Um, And then what I'd been seeing though, and what we'd been seeing for a long time was we would get business owners who would come to us and be ready to sell. But what they currently had to sell didn't fit their needs for the future. So, um, So it would be just really hard and painful conversations to have with these business owners who um, had built an amazing company. It just needed a few tweaks here or there for various reasons um, in order to make it sellable. Um, And then we ran into the people who had to sell because of you know, there was a death in the family or a divorce or those unexpected things. But again, there hadn't been any preparation for an exit. So somebody just got stuck with a company that they didn't know how to run. And because pieces, yeah. Um, I have a friend who is now the owner of a manufacturing company and she was a school teacher for her entire career, but her husband unexpectedly passed away and she had to learn about manufacturing. Um, so, so that happens and I don't, people don't always realize that. So it's timing, you know? So at the beginning of 2020, um, right as COVID was starting, I had signed up for a, um, the certification for exit planning and really decided that that was something I wanted to focus on because just, the more that we can spread the message about the importance of it, I think the more um, and the more people are telling business owners, hey, like this is something that's really important. I think 
um, the more it'll get through and people start taking action. That was really long-winded. I get chatty. So cut me off. <laughs> no, you are good. You are good. You are good. Uh, and so everybody here, you know, knows who knows who I am, Food Safety University. And we are doing this webinar series really to help uh, my clients so that they can position themselves where they want to be and start and scale the way they want to do it so they can end up, uh, you know, sitting on the beach when they want to, maybe before 70. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, I've got a client right now who's um, he's 49 and he wants to sell his business right now because he wants to take care of his mom. Like it was a family business. He bought it from his dad and his dad passed away recently. And now, um, he's going to sell after owning the business for almost six years because, um, he feels like the better place for him right now is being there for his mom. Right. And these are choices we have to we have to make. And so let's make those choices from a position of power and not a position of desperation. Right. That's sort of what we're looking for. OK, so when we start talking from a position of power, you know, I say something to my clients pretty frequently, which is choices that are made from survival only will continue in survival. Mm-hmm. And so when you're, if you're making like a decision from trying to sell so that you can survive, talk to us about how to move from that kind of energy, that, that sort of desperation to a, a, a vision that is a little more aligned with what you want for yourself, for your business for what the, what, what, when you're not feeling all scared, uh, what that might be. Well, and that, I mean, the hardest part I think is you have to do it when you're scared because there's not, there's always going to be a challenge in front of you that you feel like is, could be the end of the world, or you can't necessarily see past. And I think that's one of the Um, great things about coaching is being able to take that step back and help you see the bigger picture. So that's really the first thing I would recommend is finding somebody who can help you step back. So you're not in the weeds, because I think a lot of people um, work in their business a lot. And that's just, they don't maybe have the management team in place, or they don't like to, um, delegate, which is actually a learned skill. It is not, most people are not natural delegators. Um, so they're so (laughs) delegating is not, I'm working on it. Like I will always be a work in progress with my delegation, but, um, delegation is a lot easier if you have your processes and procedures documented because then you know how things are supposed. So it's all, everything is so tied together. Um, So when you're in that survival mode, it's trying to pause, whether it's before you get started for the day, at the end of the day, if you're able to take a lunch and just sit down and say, okay, I started this. Like, what do I want for myself? Is this a legacy that I'm trying to leave for my kids? Am I building this up for my employees? Um, what, what is my 
mission and vision for my company because it can be anything. And especially as you're thinking about um, like your exit is thinking about what those long-term goals are. Do you want to be able to vacation a lot or because it's, I don't know about any, it's helpful for me to like look into the future and see like, this is what I want my life to look like in 10 years. And these are, this is what I'm working towards. Like I've got these goals that aren't just business related. It's like personal goals for my family that, um, but the business is what's going to get me there. If that makes sense. Yeah, it sure does. And I think I find when I talk with people, with my clients, they know what they don't want. And yes. that is a great place to start. You know, like a lot of when we talk in coach speak, what do you want? What's your vision? <laughs> it's equally good to write down what you don't want. Like, I don't want to be, you know, I was talking, I was talking with a mutual client of ours today and he's like, I don't want to be a plant manager. I don't want to be the person doing the operations. Mm -hmm. I want those people to report to me. Now I have other people that I work with that the thought of giving up their plant management, like literally it has taken them three years to like step away from the day-to-dayness. And so different strokes for different folks, right? And what you don't want is incredibly powerful when setting your vision and you can always start there. That, yes, so true. That being said, giving up that plant management position, like towards the time you're getting close to wanting to exit is very important because it makes it a lot more challenging to sell your business if you're the one that's the plant manager. If the business is all you in between your ears, very difficult to sell. I think we'll probably cover that when we get to IP. (laughs) Yes, yes, we will. Um, And I think the other thing just that we didn't, that I didn't quite touch on was part of that vision you have to have for yourself. You have to bring in your financial advisor for that because they're really going to be, while nobody has a crystal ball, they're really going to be the ones that know like what kind of what you need in order to do that next phase of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, solid financial advice is Absolutely imperative. And you need to be able to budget for that. Um, and, and show that that's, that's, I mean, that's like a sign of a mature business. Uh, right. You know. But <clears throat> you would be surprised how many business owners, you know, have three houses or have a big boat. And so that's where all of their money is tied up. And that doesn't actually that is great because it's fun and who doesn't want to be able to travel and do those fun things. But again, at the end of the day, it makes it a lot more challenging when looking at, uh, when you're getting closer to that end is okay. You've also got to make sure that you're buying things, but you're putting money away in some sort of savings plan also. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So talk to us then. So we, we talked about, um, we talked about the vision and now let's get down to like brass tacks. Yes. You know, how, how do you know what your business is worth and how do you know how ready is it to transfer to another person, uh, to another entity? Yeah. So, I mean, really the first big step to do is, 
having evaluation done and an assessment on your business. So um, the valuation, I would say, is really what comes up with a number range for you. And then the assessment is really the readiness of the business. So um, kind of key financial factors that we look at are EBITDA, so earnings before interest, depreciation, tax, and amortization, one owner salary, and then one-time expenses or um, personal expenses. And one-time expenses are really in like, a, if they're not every one to three years, one to four years, then that's a one-time expense. But if it's every two years you're spending this money, we don't consider that a one-time expense. Mm-hmm. Um what is not an owner benefit or what I would call a um, discretionary earnings is if you've been giving your employees bonuses for the last 10 years, that doesn't, we're not adding that to the bottom line because if the new owner comes in and stops giving your employees those bonuses, are they really going to stay? So we don't, there are things like that where, you know, some people have different opinions on that, but I feel very strongly, especially in the pay realm with your employees, that we're not messing with your employees' bonus structure to get more money for you at the end of the day, because a buyer is going to see right through that. And so what my job is, is to really look at it from, through the eyes of a potential buyer. And that's why, um, having that expertise on the selling side of businesses is really helpful. And then, so we've got this cash flow number that we're looking at and we have to make adjustments if you're not paying yourself fair market rent or, um, or any rent at all. Those are all adjustments that are going to have to be made. Um, and they happen on our side, a bank will make those adjustments as well. So if you're not, Also, if you're not paying yourself a fair market wage or you're not paying, um, I guess I should say, if you're not paying like family members that are in the company a fair market wage, whether it's too much or too little, like we make adjustments for all of those things because we just, we really trued up cash flow number. Um, And then we look at... Um, a lot of other things. So companies that are for sale, companies that have been sold, um, industry statistics, financing scenarios to really get a good idea of what we think that multiple is going to be on that cash flow. And the multiple, if you're a business that's under a million dollars in that adjusted EBITDA, you're probably not going to be much higher than a four times multiple. The banks just aren't going to finance it. It makes it, um, it just makes it more challenging. Now, if you're in the $2 million in EBITDA and above, um, you could be looking at seven, eight, if you have a good business that you've prepared for. If it's just, if you're still the business, you just happen to make a lot of money, that's, uh, you're not going to, get those higher multiples still. Um, It'll be more than the two or three, but, um, and then, so we figure that out. And included in that is, um, depending on the size of the business, I'm giving very general, um, every business 
bit different with how these things happen. So this is pretty high level. Um, and in that multiple of cash flow, that gives you your goodwill. And so everything that's included, there's a lot that's included in that. Now, if you have very unique, specific IP, we might be able to get you more money outside of that if there's something. Um, but a lot of times, like those recipes and um, your this isn't goodwill, but your physical assets or your equipment, that's going to be part of that valuation number. And the reason for that is without that stuff, without your customer list, without all these other things or websites, there's nothing you're, there's nothing to sell. Um, And so that's where kind of that gap in the physical asset versus the actual sale price comes in. That's that's super interesting because one of the things that I do that I've shared, I've shared with my people fairly frequently is that I do due diligence on these deals. So Mm -hmm. somebody's going to go buy a, you know, a company and they say, Hey, Dr. P, can you come in and, and, and take a look at it? And I will Mm -hmm. go in and I will evaluate the management that would be staying like for culture and then I look at the floors, walls, and ceilings. You know, yep. I was in a I was in a uh, beef jerky company, and they had standing water in their finished product, mm. just like Not a good. massive listeria risk. And it wasn't like a little bit of standing water. It yeah. was like I mean, you know, you're. I, I was like, this is like the size of Lake Erie. <laughs> <laughs> Where is all this water coming from? Right. I didn't even think to like squeegee it up before I got there. I was like, we got problems, my friends, you know, and, and then when we look at, I always look at the food safety plans. I look at how they've been written up, what the audits are, because it gives a picture of how the company has been doing. And now, you know, a picture of a giant puddle of water and ready to eat room gives me a very, you know, I've got got a pretty solid handle on how they're doing. <laughs> right. Without, without a whole lot of work. <laughs> um, but you got to pay attention to those things too in the regulated industry, like we mm-hmm. work in in food and beverage. Well, and that's where that business readiness comes in. That business is not ready. So their numbers might've been good and they might've checked some other boxes to have, but the business isn't ready to sell. Like, so they might get a buyer that's willing to pay like the low end of the range on the valuation because they can see the vision enough and they've got the background enough that they can come in, but you're not going to get a large amount of interest in that business because of that. Right. Does that and make that sense? Just, I've had, I've had multiple deals fall apart when, um, I, uh, have, I have asked for the corrective actions on an audit and they don't supply them. Mm-hmm. And then what I find so fascinating is that they don't supply the corrective actions so that I can evaluate what the heck they did. And then all of a sudden, all these other cracks start appearing and we start because just because of like one conversation I have with the banker or something like that. And uh, the and the deals, I mean, I just had a deal stop in December. They're like, pens down. We're not doing mm-hmm. it. 
Yeah. And so for us, like we are very upfront, like it's tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly, because that, that company, maybe they didn't have the resources to be able to make those fixes. That's fine. As long as like, if you came in ahead of time and did like a pre-due diligence audit so that we could disclose all of that information up front to the potential buyer. So it's not happening during the due diligence. So that's almost like doing a pre-inspection on your house and saying, mm-hmm. Hey, warts and all my friend, you know, and no business is perfect and no, yeah. no, no sophisticated buyer that's going anywhere is expecting to buy a perfect business. Right. Um, but I think that if you look at being able to say, okay, I'm ready to have somebody come in and, and, and do this pre-due diligence, that I think speaks to a lot of like the personal readiness, the personal leadership that somebody can bring to the selling process. And then conversely, if you're a buyer, you want to look for those kinds of people to buy from. Yes, absolutely. Um, It's just, everything's much better. (laughs) Everything's much better when we're disclosing. Yes. So speaking of disclosing, we said we were going to talk about intellectual property. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about when you sell, what are you actually selling? And IP is one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So again, this goes back to like, you have four types of capital in your business, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but it's your human capital, your social capital, your structural capital and your customer capital. And a lot of that falls into kind of these categories here. So, um, but the importance of it is that it's documented and it's documented correctly. Um, Because if it's- almost like food safety planning. (laughs) Document, document everything. Um, Just having those processes and procedures and, You know, if you have recipes or if you have something like making sure that you're protected and not just kind of legally for the rest of the world, but so we have a a small um, grocery store locally that they have killer brownies and I mean, to die for, they're so good. So if you ever want to order them, it's from Dorothy Lane Market. Um, but all of their employees have to sign, um, NDAs with regards to this recipe. Like they cannot talk about it with anyone in their family. It is extremely like the, um, the grocery store sued people that have tried to use it because that is like such an integral part of who they are, that it would be extremely harmful if that recipe got out and was used. So, um, no, do people want to sue? Uh, no, that's not, but they want their stuff protected. And that's like, legally, that's the step that is, has to be taken sometimes, but document document right document. and the news is is that and maybe i'll do a webinar with um some of the lawyers that we work with on this yes because 
You know, if your plant manager is going to walk off with your recipe book and go work for your competitor, what, what has anybody just bought? And that has happened. I've yes. I've totally seen that happen. Oh. Yeah. So non-competes, non-solicitation. So that's another one. Your plant manager leaves, but then he comes and tries to take like four more people that work for you. Um, those are big or goes after your customer. Like, so, but those are hard, especially in these like intimate small businesses. Those can be really hard conversations to have with people. And again, I think that's where, um, if you're not ready to have that conversation one-on-one, like bringing somebody in that specializes in that HR aspect of it, I think would be a really useful tool for a company as well, because, um, there is, um, it's just a sensitive topic, especially if it's, you know, your friend from down the road has been working with you for forever, but now you're becoming a more established business. So you want to have these practices in place. Um, they're just, they can be hard. Sometimes they're super easy. Like, I don't want to scare anybody and be like, everything's hard. Nothing ever goes smoothly. Like, that's not true, but um, prepare, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Right. And we're all about having hard conversations around here. Yeah. I, mean, I think I literally have multiple podcasts by that title. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, but if you're unwilling to have those hard conversations, I don't think that you're ready to make these transitions and to be super serious about making the business more sophisticated so that 100%. somebody would want to buy it. <sighs> and like, there is also like, I don't want to freak people out. There are people that are still interested in buying like true small businesses. And I know, I think the SBA is like 500 employees or below. Like that is not our vision. Of, and the of USDA, a small way, we all roll yeah. our eyes. <laughs> no, it's like, if you've got five or 10 people and that's like all, that's, that is what your vision is for your company. And you just want to stay there. That is totally fine. But there are still things you can do to make yourself attractive for somebody else or for your employees to buy you because that's that's an option. That's always totally an option. There are so many fun options for business owners for like exiting their business. It's awesome. It is so (laughs) awesome. Um, I love it. Uh, and then with your equipment, like making sure that you keep your maintenance records, like that's, I'm awesome if you're handy and I am not like, I can fix some things. I can lay the flooring in my house, but you do not want me trying to fix a machine. Um, so I'm going to call somebody in to do that. So making sure if there's little stuff that you can fix, awesome do it, document it, document it, document it. But on the bigger things, it is just better to have an outside company come in that's trusted, that fixes it. So there's a paper trail in case something goes wrong after you sell. Hmm. And also try and make sure that the warranty work that they do is transferable to a new owner. Even if you don't know when you're going to sell, it's still, again, you never know what's going to happen. So... That makes sense. Um, And yeah, again, what you're selling, you're selling your name, you're selling your reputation. So that's that social aspect that I was talking about is 
Um, what do people out in the world see? Um, do you give back to the community? Um, do you have a good reputation from past employees about how you're treated? Like your name really means a lot when somebody's going to buy it. How are your Google reviews? Because buyers look at that. Like I put the buyer or I put like customer reviews in all of our um, confidential business reviews because I want people to see that they have strong reputations and what, what the customers are saying about them. Um, Interesting. So I want everybody to know that you can always ask for reviews, you know, people, yes. you know, ask for reviews because if that's, cause that's part of your brand, you know, we look at a lot of people in food and beverage, like I'm going to grow this really big brand and I'm going to sell it. And I understand that, but there has to be a there, there. Yes. Yep. <laughs> there 100% has to be something there. So, um, and I love that. Yeah. When you're sending out like your thank you, if you send out thank you notes for, or emails for like doing business, put in that, please leave a Google review for us with the link. Like you can't make it any easier for them. And honestly, like if you did a good job, most people will take the two and a half minutes Right. Because that's all it takes to leave that review for you. Right. So, um, and then you get the crazy people that, now I will say, I don't know about you, but we have one person that left us a Google review that we've never talked to. We have no idea who he is. And it was completely unrelated. His review was negative and completely unrelated to our business. And we can't figure out how to take it down. So, <laughs> right. I mean, there is that. And so that has to be something that you decide to police. Um, yes. And it, uh, but I, th- I still think the point is valid. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, and it is because every buyer I talk to right now is getting on and as they're Googling the business, they see what those reviews are. So, um, And really kind of to the next point with your customer list, your customers are looking to see what the reviews are too, whether um, you're selling into a bigger company or, um, or you're just selling to the mom and pop down the street. Like everybody is really starting to pay attention to that more. Um, And with regards to your customer list, we are not giving anyone your customer list prior to like very, very, very far down the line. Like closing day is really ideal. Um, but we want to make sure that we can show where the revenue is. And, you know, do you have any customer concentration issues that we need to deal with? Because it's not buyers get a little squirrely when that percentage is up really high for with one customer, unless you have like multiple contacts within that one customer. And as the owner, you don't own that entire relationship. So there are again, ways to work through that, but, um, but yeah, it's just. So start diversifying your buyer channel now. (laughs) Yes. And on the flip side of that, supplier, uh, diversify your supplier base, because I don't know if any of you struggled with the supply chain when COVID hit, but 
people that only had one supplier for their main need were really struggling. So the customers that and clients that I had that were most successful during COVID, it's because they had multiple suppliers for all of their products. So they weren't because people went out of business, people um, sold. And again, um, when you're working with these people, ask them what their exit strategy is. What's going to happen because you want to know if your supplier has a strong exit strategy. Like that's not a bad, um, a bad question to ask. And I know employee or owners get um, nervous about like their customers knowing that they're thinking about selling, but I would be kind of excited about it for a couple of reasons. One, you're thinking long-term. So like you are looking out for my best interest by putting together some sort of exit strategy. And who knows, I might want to buy you. Like I might want to bring you in house. So this might be a good fit. Now, um, but it is also a very delicate conversation to have. So I'm not telling you to go out and tell you, tell your customers you're thinking about selling. Um, again, <laughs> some coaching and conversation and really a good understanding of what those customers look like. Um, and then, you know, with the real estate, don't have standing water on the ground. <laughs> like, make sure that's all fixed up. That makes a ton of, that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> we tell you no standing water. I'm just saying. Yes. You know, like check your ceiling tiles. If there are watermarks, have your roof checked out. That's right. Okay. So um, you talked to us a little bit about the four different types of, of capital. So yes. talk to us a little bit more about these things that we have to build a roadmap, a timeline, building your team. How do we, how do we actually get there? Yeah. So it really, I would say timeline is almost first. Because um, you have your ideal timeline, which is like, I want to do this for the next seven years. Okay. Like that's something we can work with. Um, And then there's also, again, like you have to think about kind of the unknowns that are going to pop up. And I think that's why the importance of having an estate planning attorney and your financial advisor and an insurance broker, because they can protect you from those unknowns that if, unfortunately, if something, if you die or have a disability, like that's where you're going to get protected from those unexpected. But the roadmap is when you do the assessment, here's where we're at. SWOT analysis, strengths, is um, here are my opportunities that I have. And, you know, here are some things that might want to be a little concerned about, but how are we going to work through those? And then to me, it's understanding that this is going to be an investment. And the thing about this investment is you're going to get it back once you sell your business. So do you have to do it all at one time? No, especially not if you've got seven years to do it. So look for what are some easy fixes that I have. Um, So you've got 
an employee that is just right on the cusp of being able to maybe take over a management position, get them training, bring somebody in, send them someplace, but get them that training so that they can be the leader for you. You don't have any of your processes and procedures documented, which can be extremely overwhelming to start working through. So work with somebody that can help you with that and break it down. Start with one process at a time and get that documented. So it will look, if you look at it as a whole, it's going to look really overwhelming. But there really are ways to break it down so that it doesn't like eat an elephant one bite at a time. So, and that's what I was going to (laughs) say. Because that's what it like, it, it can feel like that. So kind of within those four areas of the capital. So you've got your human are your employees, your structural are your financials, your processes and procedures, um, suppliers, then you've got your customers, which pretty obvious. And then the social is just kind of that brand that you have out in, out in the world. Um, and so when we do the assessment, we get back kind of your strengths and weaknesses in all of those areas. And that's how we build that roadmap out is to say, okay, like you are super solid here. So continue on and just continue than what you're already doing. Um, You know, you don't have great retention of your employees. So let's take a look at what the issue is. Are you, um, because it's not like people talk about um, culture of the company and it's like, are you nice? Do you have an open door policy and what, like that kind of culture, but that's not the kind of culture I'm talking about. I'm talking about more of a, do you have, like, are you in growth mode right now? And the people that you have as employees, like, do they also have that mindset? Do they want to grow along with you? Or do they feel like they have no idea what's going on anymore because they had been happy just going along and they are much better employees for that kind of stabilized period instead of growth mode? So making sure that the people you have are in the right seats on the bus um, because they just might not be the right fit for you at that time. Um, But again, so many different things can go into those. And then your team, um, which there's a breakdown on the next page of this. Let's get us to the next slide and let's talk about all the people, you all the people. <laughs> oh, and I put insurance broker twice. So obviously oh, okay. I feel Probably passionately about <laughs> uh, an insurance broker, but you know, you, when it comes to accounting, there are many different kinds of accountants and um, you want to be working with someone that is going to help you with your tax planning because when it comes to like one to three years prior to you wanting to sell, you're just going to have to pay some taxes. Like that's just, it's going to be a thing. 
So what can your accountant do to help you plan appropriately so that you're not getting totally crushed by those taxes? Now, um, what you would pay in taxes is minimal to what you will reap in rewards for selling the business and claiming that revenue. So just keep that in mind as you're writing the check to the IRS or clicking a button on the computer. Um, but again, making sure that that accountant understands your vision and there are just some really bad accountants out there. So, um, I had, it was awful. I was, I was on a buy side deal. So I was representing the buyer and we found a seller, um, and we, I got her taxes and they had looked great until like the previous two years when she switched accounting firms and they ended up running her business as a pass-through entity. They didn't put any expenses. Uh, it was, it was the crazy, I'd never seen a tax return look like that before. And I couldn't get a bank to even look at finances deal. And so I told the seller, I was like, go back to your accountant and have them fix this. And so she went back to talk to him and his response was, it'll get flagged for an audit if we go back and fix this. And she's like, well, I certainly don't want to be audited now because I have no idea what's going on with my books. So again, Ouch. It was trying to save her some money and it just, in the long run, it wasn't worth it. So um, make sure you have a good accountant. And then attorneys, um, when the time comes for the actual sale, you want to have a really good M&A attorney that this is what they do. You don't want hey, your divorce attorney. Everybody. Yes. <laughs> yeah mergers and acquisitions. You don't want the attorney that helped you through your divorce doing this. They're very different. <laughs> very right. different. I mean, we, we, we're big believers in specialized attorneys around here. I mean, I yes. have a safety attorney. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's not the food safety. Love Lauren Handel, but I do. Mm -hmm. Don't ask her to do mergers and acquisitions. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, Work with your estate planning attorney and these conversations. Um, so that's why I really liked the certification I got because they truly believed in the team approach. So like you want your accountant, attorney, financial advisor, like you want everybody on this page working together towards a successful exit for you, whether it's now or in the future. So, you know, your financial advisor and your estate planning attorney can be working together. You've got your IP attorney. Um, some of those attorneys can all be on, housed under one uh, law firm. And sometimes you've got to go kind of pick and choose who's who the best fit is for you um, that can help you through that. And then just making sure that you're properly covered for insurance, especially if you have partners that are in the business um, it's just having good insurance is important. And the benefit to kind of the insurance brokers, a lot of times the sellers will stick with that insurance broker. 
especially. So if they're doing a good job for you, like that's an asset for the buyer coming in. Um, and then working with advisors and coaches, because um, I am really good at like project managing everything. I'm not the person you want coming in and documenting your processes and procedures for you. You certainly don't want me coming through and doing the due diligence audit for your um, food manufacturing plant. Like that's not my area of expertise. So, <laughs> so making sure that you have those people um, that can help get you to where you want to be. And they're all working on the same team. And then, um, it is really, we've had some people trying to sell their businesses on their own recently and just not gone swimmingly for them. Um, I talked to one guy a few weeks ago who God love him. He did like a 90% seller note. Now I don't really, yes, those and eyes. So that means he financed 90% he of it. Financed, so the buyer gave him 10% of the sale price and he is the bank for the next, I think they decided on seven years. That is a long time to have what a lot of cases is your retirement savings tied up. Now, were there tax advantages to getting paid out over a certain period of time? Yes. I'm not an accountant. I can't speak to... Um, why he chose that exactly, but he is not comfortable with it, but it's because he didn't have anybody helping him negotiate on his behalf. Now, if we look, and again, I, this is, I don't know a lot about his business, but was he somebody that didn't do any planning and this was the best offer he could get? Sure. But if he was willing to wait to get paid for seven years, like he could have done some things within his business to fix them up. Uh, unless of course he had, he had to sell and stop working right away. So, um, so yeah, that's, that, I mean, that again gets back to, if you're making decisions in survival mode, yes, yes. you're going to continue in survival mode and, and hiring, you know, it's, I mean, it's the same thing about it's a crazy real estate market. Uh, yes, it is. Know? I mean, who's, who's buying and selling without, brokers right now. You're not buying, people are not buying and selling without brokers. And of course there's some, oh, well, you know, I don't want to pay the broker's fees, but you know, get I bought, more money if you do. right. I mean, I bought in this market. I was totally happy to pay other people. I'm yes. not doing a title search. No, no. <laughs> um, so again, as business owners, like I'm very good with what I do as a business owner. You are very good what you do as an owner of a business. The people that are listening, very good at what they do as business owners. But like you have to know what you don't know and you have to be able to ask for help when you need it and budget for it accordingly. So like figure out what your budget is. And you know, if your business is mostly coming from referrals, do you need that huge marketing budget if track where you're getting your business from. And if it's not coming from the Google ads or the TV promos or whatever, however else you're marketing your business, like save some of that money and put it towards some of these things that we talked about working on. 
That makes so much, right. That makes so much sense. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much, Cade. You're very um, welcome. For all of that wonderful stuff. We did have a question come in about buyer concentration. So can you talk to me about what's too concentrated? Um, so in the manufacturing world, um, Anything over, I would say, 20, 25% is considered, especially if the other ones um, aren't very concentrated, like it's, you've got 25% and then a lot of smaller ones. Um, and then, um, but again, that 25%, you might have three different like purchasers within that 25%. So that really decreases the level of risk there. Um, for other types of industries, really 10 to 15% is, I would say, even as a manufacturer, if you can be at 10 to 15%, that's where you want to be. We have, uh, we had a client who, was a manufacturer and had 90% of his business in one client. Now he had had that same customer for 20 years, consistent business. We brought, I think we had eight different buyers try and buy this business. Not a single one of them could, and they were strategic. I think like four of them were strategic buyers. A couple of them were individuals none of them could get financing for it because there wasn't a bank out there. And we went nation, we did a nationwide search for a bank that would do this deal. And nobody, and we told him over and over again that, you know, this is your reality. And he just couldn't understand why would they lend some money to it? Yes. But they would not come close to the purchase price that he wanted, which is, yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So with the buyers, it's with your customer buyer concentration. Um, there are a lot of things that go into, but I would say if you can stay in that 10 to 15% range, like you're going to be in good shape. Okay. And then how about on the supply chain? And supply chain concentration. Are there are there like equivalent statistics on that side of? Less so. Um, like we've got, I would say, like fifty. So it's not as um, big of an issue. But say if you've got, it's more kind of the quantity. So if you've got three or four suppliers that you can rotate in, like some years you're at 50, 60 percent with one. And then the other ones fill in the gap and then it can kind of ebb and flow. Like that's, um, we've seen like 50 and 60 because there are also some places where you can really only get your stuff from one person. And oh, that's, that's very common in food manufacturing. Yeah. So, um, so it's less, I would say it's less important than the customer concentration is that one is definitely the higher priority, but just more being aware 
of the fact that you have a customer concentration or a supplier concentration issue and figuring out how to bring in more suppliers to that. Right. Okay. So that is, so that's super, that's super interesting to hear because we've got, I, you know, we've got so many people who are scrambling on their supply chains right Mm -hmm. now, or who's, who are doing value added processing from a raw product, you know, and they're, and they're coming in. I mean, I think I have multiple clients who run brands, um, who they have one, they have one manufacturing company that they buy from. Mm -hmm. And I just like, given what we've talked about here, I just think that that's a, that's a very challenging position, uh, for them to, um, for them to be in because what, you know, what the, what the heck happens? Um, Yeah. Yep. Um, we did get another question about what about rent to own? So that's kind of similar to, um, similar to the kind of seller note. Well, so there are, there are so many different options. Um, so if you, as the buyer want to do a rent to own type thing for the business, what I would really suggest doing is going in as an employee and like from the seller's perspective, come in as the employee, you know, work to get some equity in the business and work it that way. Like that to me makes more sense for both the buyer and the seller because, you know, the buyer might end up working there for a couple years and figure out that, you know, maybe it's not the right fit for him actually or her. Um, but on the sell side, you know, you're, it becomes a more financeable deal because you're bringing your um, selling to a key employee. So banks like that more. Um, and then, you know, it can be, there can be some tax advantages to that, but I would just make sure again, you're super protected um, on the legal side and figuring out. So at what point do you know, does the buyer start having decision-making power? What, like, you still have to have a plan in place. Um, Again, if you're, if it's from the buyer's perspective, sure, that's, um, that's a better situation for them, I think, but it's also, from the seller's perspective, not necessarily, you might not need to do it if you've built a really strong business. So it's again about the legacy that, um, and there, and why do you want to rent to own? So like, do you feel like your credit's not good enough to get the financing? You know, if you're that risk averse to doing that, then I think that's something um, that also needs to be looked at from the buyer's perspective because um, the seller is going to have language in there about what happens if you don't pay them too. So, um, yeah, yeah, 
That's so I don't, I don't really feel like I answer that question very well. There can well, be benefits to both sides, right. but as the seller, I'm not. When you sell a business, you want to be done with it. Yes. But again, if you have runway, Mm -hmm. if you're like, I want to be out in seven years, you know, if you've got somebody that comes in like three years into that seven year plan and is like, you know, I'd like to buy your business someday. It's like, all right, let me hire. Let's get started now and work through that. So, um, but yeah, that, but again, that's not really, it's, it's so specific. So if you have a very, like a specific situation that you want to talk through how that would work for you, like, I'm happy to talk about that offline too, to walk through what some of those options are. Alrighty. Well, and there's your contact information. Yes. So, <laughs> so take us, take a screenshot on the contact information. Kate's also super easy to find on LinkedIn, though you do have to spell her last name correctly. Yes. It's Vriner. I married, it used to be so easy. It was Chadwick. Like everybody knows how to, the CH sound. And then I married somebody that's a Greek and it's like, how, what, what is your last name? <laughs> Oh, honey. (laughs) Right. I'm preaching to the choir. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming. We're at the, we're just about at the top of the hour. If you'd like to continue the conversation, of course, send me and Kate an email. Uh, You can also find us on LinkedIn And this has been absolutely a wealth of information. I learned so much. (laughs) It's my favorite kind of webinar where I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) turns out I have to do that too. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm so happy I was able to provide you some additional knowledge. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kate. And thank you uh, for bringing all of your expertise from Sunbelt and Exit Strategies or Exit Advisors, I guess. And I look forward to uh, answering everybody's questions. But right now, we are going to uh, take that all offline. Give us an email if you have any more questions. Have a great night, everybody. for listening to the Food Safety University podcast. Go to dirigofoodsafety.com and go check out all the things that we have. If you haven't gotten your HACCP download, go get that or book a call with me and let's talk about getting you into Food Safety University. I'll see you on the inside.